Well, good evening. Thank you for coming out tonight. I trust you're well and have had a, had a good week uh, so far. Um, could you open your Bible, please, to Luke chapter 2? Uh, we'll start there. And uh, we'll be considering various portions of Scripture tonight. Uh, in a study that I've entitled, The Hidden Years of Jesus. Okay, but let's, uh, let's open in a word of prayer. Now, Father, we do thank you uh, for giving us uh, the opportunity to spend some time studying your word. Uh, please remove all distractions and hindrances. Help us to be alert and aware. And uh, please teach us more about our wonderful Lord Jesus and grow our love for him. And that uh, we ask these things uh, in his name. Amen. Now, have you ever found it striking uh, that Jesus was on earth for 33 years and yet we're given very little information about large portions of his life. We have comprehensive accounts of his birth and also his death on the cross and have quite a lot of detail about his public ministry, which spanned for a period of three years. And yet we have very little information from Jesus' infancy to the commencement of his public ministry at the age of 30. We have one very significant moment recorded, and that is when Jesus managed to avoid going home, and he remained in the temple after the Passover as a 12-year-old boy. And this is recorded for us in Luke chapter 2. And it would be good for you to have your Bible open there, as I want us to notice some of the vital information that's given. If you look at verse 40, it says, And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Okay, so this tells us what had been happening in the life of Jesus throughout the first 12 years of his life. And amazingly, he was subject to the same physical, spiritual, social, and emotional development that any child experiences in the early stages of life except without sin. And this is the stunning humiliation of the incarnation, that Jesus subjected himself to the normal processes of growth and development. Okay, and this was required in order to identify and to represent us. Okay, if Jesus didn't have a real humanity, he couldn't be a real savior. Okay, and he needed to possess this real humanity. And this little gem of a statement in verse 40 confirms that in his first okay, 12 years, it was a normal experience. So Jesus knows what it's like to be a child. Now, there is much weird and wonderful speculation floating around about Jesus' childhood. Okay, stories about him performing miracles in the school playground and so forth. But that all needs to be dismissed uh, as nonsense. Okay, the only event that we can be certain about is the account of Jesus in the temple as a 12-year-old boy. This is the only recollection the Lord has seen fit in his infinite wisdom to give us of Jesus' childhood. But we need to understand that this is a monumental moment because at this point, okay, Jesus knew who he was and he was aware of his purpose. And this is evidenced in his declaration in verse 49. Okay, his mum had just found him, and he says, Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? 
Now, in the incarnation, in Jesus' limiting of himself, it's difficult to determine when he began to self-consciously become aware that he is the Son of God. Okay, He always was the Son of God, but in his humanity, when did he become aware of this? Now, I don't think this is the first time he realized it, but what becomes very clear is that at 12 years old, Jesus was under no doubt about who he was. Okay? And he declares here, my father. And understand, this is new language not used in the Bible before this moment. And this is a claim of deity. So Jesus knew he, he was aware of his unique identity at this moment. But he also says that he must be about my father's business. Okay, the Greek phrase is a little bit ambiguous. It's challenging to translate. But in essence, it declares that Jesus was here to do the will of the Father. Okay, so at 12, he yearned to serve and obey his Father. This was the commitment of his life. Okay, and at this point, okay, after such a monumental moment, we almost expect his public ministry to explode. Jesus understands his identity. Jesus understands his purpose. And yet his public ministry did not commence for another 18 years. And this period of time is known as the hidden years of Jesus or the silent years of Jesus. And as I'm sure you can probably imagine, this has led to much speculation. Well, what did Jesus do in this time? Um, if you were to Google this, there are all sorts of weird and wonderful suggestions. Some say that he made the trek to India and had some kind of enlightenment. Others say he went all the way to England, a pretty big trip. And there are other weird and wonderful suggestions. But the question is, does the Bible have anything to say about this period of time? Okay, that's what we care about. What does the Bible have to say? Okay, does it shed any light on these hidden years? Now, the Bible doesn't give us much, but I believe it gives us enough to help us grasp the happenings of this period. And I believe when we understand it, it magnifies the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. So let's endeavor to determine from the Bible what Jesus was doing during these hidden years and see how this adds to the beautiful portrait that is the person of Jesus. And I'd like to consider five different texts. The first being Mark chapter 1. So if you could turn your Bible there, please. Mark chapter 1. And we'll read verses 9 to 11. Okay, this is Jesus' baptism. And uh, his baptism is regarded as the commencement of his public ministry, amongst other things. So let's read from verse 9. It says, And it came to pass in those days... That Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, okay, and this is the key phrase now for our purposes. Thou art my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Okay, this declaration, thou art my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the father's stamp of approval of everything that Jesus had done in his life so far. Okay, it does contain an important future aspect. 
Okay, it's a declaration that Jesus is both suitable and qualified for what awaits him. But understand, this is a divine acknowledgement that Jesus' life that had been lived in obscurity up until this point, it had measured up. Gets the Father's approval of everything that had unfolded in Jesus' life up until this point. It is his assurance that Jesus had lived a perfect life. Okay, how do we know for sure that Jesus did live a perfect life when he's out of the public eye? Well, here, the Father declares that that is the case. Jesus had done the Father's will flawlessly. And I would suggest that this is the primary point of this declaration. And this functions as a personal affirmation for Jesus. And it's a public announcement affirming divine approval and acceptance of all that had unfolded so far. So the father was pleased with his obedience toward his parents. He was pleased with his kindness toward his siblings. He was pleased with his work ethic. He was pleased with his commitment to learning. He was pleased with his spiritual growth. He was pleased with his resistance to temptation. He was pleased with his life of prayer. He was pleased with his obedience and submission to the divine will. Okay, the father was pleased with everything that Jesus had done. And although he lived in obscurity, although he was out of the spotlight, everything that he did, everything that he didn't do, even when nobody else was around, it was pleasing to the father. So every endeavor, every action, every attitude, every interaction, every relationship, it was all approved by the father. And this is the vital lens through which we must view everything in Jesus life, including these hidden years. Whatever he did and however he did it, it was pleasing to God. It was pleasing to the father. It received the divine stamp of approval, meaning that whatever Jesus did, it was the will of God. Okay, like the psalmist, he delighted to do the will of God. And this confirms that these years, okay, these hidden years, these silent years, they were not wasted years. They were a part of the divine plan. And we need to keep this in mind as we move toward the other portions of scripture. Whatever we discover about Jesus during this time, it was pleasing to his father. Okay, so text number two is Mark chapter six and verse three. In fact, it's just the first phrase. It says, is not this the carpenter? Okay, so the context of this particular declaration is that Jesus had returned to Nazareth, the small and insignificant town that he had grown up in, and he taught in the local synagogue. Okay, this was the one that he had attended as he grew up. And as he taught the people, they, they were astonished. Okay, they couldn't understand how this Jesus was able to teach with such authority. How does he possess such wisdom? And also, how does he perform these mighty works? How does he do these miracles? Because to them, he was just the local carpenter. Okay, these were the people who knew Jesus best. And when they looked at him, all that they saw was the carpenter. And this reveals to us what Jesus had been doing for 18 years. 
He was on the tools. Okay? He worked with his hands. He labored hard. You know, in Jewish culture, a father would ensure that his son was taught a trade. And usually they would follow in the steps of their dad. And it was actually viewed as a great dishonor and a great failure if a dad did not train their son in this way. And even those who would end up following the scholarly path would still acquire a trade. Okay, think of the Apostle Paul, okay, brilliant scholar. What did he do? He's a tent maker. Okay, so we had a trade. This was the common practice. So Jesus did what we would refer to today as an apprenticeship with Joseph. And he mastered the craft of carpentry. You know, when we think of a carpenter in Bible times, it was more broad than just one who works with timber, which is what we normally think of today. But it seems likely that Jesus would have worked with stone okay, just as much as timber, if not more so. It was more readily available. But he spent 18 years in the carpentry workshop. Each day, wake up early. He would go to work. He would labor with his hands, work all day, then go home, and then he would repeat. And he did that for 18 years. And he did this in order to provide for himself, and it seems likely that he also provided for his family. Okay, and think about that. Isn't that astonishing humility that God, okay, that's who Jesus is, and here he is working in this small and insignificant carpentry shop in Nazareth. Small town, middle of nowhere. Okay, that the one who created the world by simply speaking, learns a trade crafting things by hand. That the one who was entrusted with the most important mission of history, that being the salvation of mankind, and yet he labored faithfully for 18 years in obscurity. Okay, this word carpenter sheds some light on what Jesus was doing during these hidden years. Now, a question. What was the purpose behind this time of carpentry? Well, I'd like to suggest three things. Preparation, vindication, and identification. Okay, preparation, vindication, identification. Okay, so this was a time of preparation. And I want to come back to this point later, so I won't say too much, but it was about getting Jesus ready for public ministry. It was also a time of vindication. In this time of obscurity, Jesus, in his humanity, learned to say no to temptation. He said yes to the will of the Father. He learned obedience. Hebrews talks about that. Okay, and through this entire time, he passed every test with flying colors, and this vindicates his perfection. Okay, he was faithful even in obscurity. And it was also about identification. Okay, Jesus, in working for this period of time, was placing himself under the curse. He endured the curse of working by the sweat of his brow. Okay, that was a part of the curse as revealed in Genesis 3. This was a consequence of sin, and Jesus took that upon himself in laboring with his hands. But this is also vital in identifying with us, because he knows about the daily grind of life. Have you ever thought about that? 
Jesus knows the monotony of life. Jesus knows what it's like to work really, really hard. It seems reasonable to assume that he experienced and endured all of the difficulties that we face at work and in life in general. Because he lived a normal life for 18 years and hence he can identify with us. So a couple of points of application from Jesus working as a carpenter. Okay, number one, okay, we learn that we should work and we should hate laziness and idleness. Okay, Jesus here sets the example. As Christians, we, we should be working, okay, particularly for men. Okay, it's God's design for us to work. Okay, and when we avoid it, when we refuse to work and there's no good reason for it, okay, we're placing ourselves above Jesus because he was willing to work. Okay, it's God's will that we work and that we work hard. And we as Christians should be known as the best workers. Number two, it teaches us that toil is holy. What I mean by that is we learn here that one does not need to be a pastor or a missionary or a full-time church worker in order to serve or please the Lord. Okay, he is Jesus. Okay, he's God. He labored in carpentry for 18 years. And we know from the account when he's 12 years old that he was about doing his father's business. Okay, and God the Father declared that he was pleased with what Jesus had done, which included this time in the carpentry shop. The lesson for us is this. Okay, serve the Lord wherever you are. Okay, you can serve him and ensure that he is honored and glorified in any occupation. And we need Christians in every industry. Okay, so don't think that you have to be a full-time Christian worker. Okay, you don't have to be a pastor or a missionary to please God and do something worthwhile. Okay, because Jesus' time in the workshop disproves that false theory. And number three, Jesus identifies with the mundane nature of life. Okay, sometimes life can be very monotonous, can't it? Sleep, eat, work, repeat. Okay, and life can often be like that. And it can feel like we're in a massive rut. Same thing, different day. Perhaps you can identify with that. And maybe it frustrates you. And yet here is the wondrous thing about Jesus. Okay, our God, he lived that. Our God has endured the monotony of life. He understands and he wants to help you to be content and even find joy in the monotony of life and be faithful in the monotony of life. Be faithful in obscurity, just like him in the carpentry shop. The third text I'd like to consider is in Luke's gospel. Uh, Luke chapter four, please. Okay, Jesus is beginning uh, his public ministry. He's just returned from spending 40 days in the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. And uh, one of the first places that he went was Nazareth. Okay, verse 16 says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. Okay, so Jesus went to the synagogue. Okay, this is not the same occasion as we read of in Mark chapter 6. Okay, this in Luke is an earlier 
occasion. Okay, but on the Sabbath, okay, that was the day of worship. So we would say today, Jesus went to church. And as was the practice, the scriptures were read, they were explained. And at this time, Jesus read and taught the scriptures. And at this time, he created quite a stir. But I want you to notice a little phrase that is really easy to skip over. But it actually shines some light for us into the hidden years of Jesus. It says in verse 16, as his custom was. And what this means is that this was a habit. This was a regular practice. Okay, growing up and into adulthood, he went to the synagogue. He was in the habit of going to public worship. We would say today that Jesus went to church every Sunday. It was his custom to gather for worship, for prayer, and for the word. And as he made his way back home, as he went back to Nazareth, he slipped back into the old routine. And on Saturday, he went to the synagogue. And this tells us that this was a key part of Jesus' life. Okay, his parents obviously took him okay and we also okay learn of that back in luke chapter 2 where we started okay where the child grew and waxed strong in spirit filled with wisdom and the grace of god was upon him okay there is spiritual growth a spiritual input in his life so his parents took him to the synagogue okay and there's a lesson there for parents and for future parents make sure you teach and model the importance of church okay drum that in to your children but as Jesus got older, he continued to make the synagogue a priority. This was a vital part of his life during these hidden years. And this teaches us at least two things. The first thing is this. If Jesus prioritized church, then so should we. Okay, it is the, the Christian's duty to attend public worship. A church should be a priority. Okay, and understand, we need to worship. Okay, we need to come to church. It's for our good. Okay, we need to be with God's people. We need to sing and pray together. We need preaching. And if Jesus made this a priority, who do we think we are to not make this a priority? Okay, we know that it's God's will that we would be conforming into the image of Christ isn't this a very easy and practical way that we can be like Jesus? And yet so many fail to see the necessity of church and they certainly don't prioritize it. Okay, so we need to understand that we're being very unlike Jesus when church is not important. Okay, when one doesn't come, when it isn't a priority. Jesus went to the synagogue every Saturday and Christians ought to go to church every Sunday. And the second thing that we learn is that problems in church doesn't mean we give up on it. Okay, how often have you heard it said, and maybe you've had this attitude yourself. Okay, there's just too many issues at church. There's too many hypocrites, so I'm not going. Okay, I'm never going to church again. Now, I'm not excusing hypocrites, and I'm not excusing the issues that tend to happen in churches. But this is what I want you to understand. The synagogue that Jesus attended was not perfect. In fact, it was far from it. There was an awful lot of hypocrisy in the synagogues. There was much misunderstanding doctrinally 
And I would argue they were in a worse shape than most churches today. And yet Jesus still attended. He didn't use this as an excuse to not attend. And neither should we as the followers of Jesus. So the synagogue was a key component in the life of Jesus during his hidden years. And the church should play a hidden, a hidden an important role, a central role in the life of the Christian. It shouldn't be hidden. I don't know why I said that word. Okay, text number four, Isaiah 49, please. So let's go to the Old Testament. Isaiah chapter 49. In the book of Isaiah, there are four servant songs. And these songs are speaking of the Holy One of Israel, the, the Messiah. And when they are all considered together, we can see that they are speaking of Jesus. And the New Testament confirms this interpretation. So the first servant song is Isaiah 42, 1 to 9. And that's about the servant being spirit filled. And this text is actually quoted in Matthew 12, 18 to 21. And the point that Matthew is making is that Jesus' ministry was fulfilling this first song. Okay, the second servant song is Isaiah 49, 1 to 7. And this is about the prophetic work of the servant. Now we know that Jesus' ministry was all about teaching. Okay, think of the Sermon on the Mount. That was all teaching. He is known as the word, okay, John chapter one, and this all fulfills this song. And the sword-like words that are mentioned in Isaiah 49, okay, is applied explicitly to Jesus in Revelation 1, 16. Now the third servant song is Isaiah 50, 1 to 11, and this is all about the submissive and obedient servant. Okay, and Jesus' whole life was characterized by this, okay, submitting to the Father. Okay, in Gethsemane, it's probably the most okay, famous example. It says, you know, not my will, but thine be done. Okay, and that was his attitude through his whole life. But in this song, it mentioned specific suffering that Jesus fulfilled. Okay, Isaiah 50 verse 6, it says, I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. Okay, and we know that this was fulfilled by Jesus explicitly at the cross. And the fourth servant song is Isaiah 52, 13 okay, to 53, verse 12. And this is all about the suffering substitute. And this is the most well-known of the servant songs. Okay, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And we can see very clearly how Jesus fulfills this song. Okay, just read a, a narrative of the cross. But this is actually declared unmistakably in Acts chapter 8. If you remember that the Ethiopian eunuch, he was reading from the book of Isaiah. And he was actually reading this text, okay, Isaiah 53, verses 32 and 33 of Acts 8 makes this clear. And Philip asked the question, do you, do you understand what you're reading? He says, no, I don't. And he asked Philip to explain. And verse 35 says this, he, that's Philip, began at the same scripture, Isaiah 53, and preached unto him Jesus. Okay, Isaiah 53 is all about 
Jesus. So it's clear okay, that these servant songs point to Jesus Christ. And hence they reveal some things that help us to understand his hidden years. So Isaiah 49 and verse 2. This is in the second servant song. It says, And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me. And made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me. I want to draw your attention to some of the images that are used within this song. Okay, a quiver is where one's arrows would be kept. They would be concealed, protected, kept safe, and they awaited to be used. And we're told that Jesus was hid in the quiver. Another image in this verse, it's translated shadow of his hand. And again, this is referring to the idea of hiding or protecting. Now, the interpretation of this phrase is debated. Some feel as though it's referring to being hidden under God's wings. Okay, that's an idea of protection and care. And that's an image found in the Psalms. Or it could be referring to the scarboard, which is where the sword would be kept. Okay, there it would be concealed, protected, and ready for use. And this ties in with the sword metaphor that commences this verse, okay, where it talks about his mouth being like a sharp sword. Now we also read in verse 2 that he was a polished shaft. And this is referring to an arrow. And polish is speaking of the smoothing of the blemishes from the arrow in order to make sure it flies straight. And all of these images refer to both divine protection and divine preparation. And it is the preparation idea that helps us to understand these hidden years in obscurity. What, what was happening was well, the father was preparing Jesus for the work. He was sharpening the sword, polishing the arrow. And Jesus, he was ready in the quiver. He's ready in the scarboard for the perfect time. But Jesus was willing to remain in the quiver until the appointed time. And what this tells us is that everything that Jesus did in this time okay, was preparing him for what was to come. Okay, the 18 years as the carpenter, it was not in vain, but it was a preparatory period. And one writer made an interesting point, and I hadn't thought about this too much before. And his, his point in summary was that all of this physical work would have ensured that Jesus was physically fit. Okay, he was strong and he was ready for active ministry. And this particular scholar estimated that Jesus would have walked 4,000 kilometers during his three-year ministry, meaning that he needed to have a strong physical constitution, meaning he needed to be fit, and uh, this was produced during this time of work. And this also prepared him for the ministry. Okay, this verse mentions that, that his mouth or his words would be like a sword. Okay, and this reveals the type of ministry that Jesus would have. Okay, and this is a really important verse because the Jews missed it. Okay, they thought Jesus was going to be a military messiah. Okay, he's going to free them from the shackles of Rome. Okay, but here we're told he would battle with his words. Okay, his words would possess power. Okay, and this was part of his preparation. 
So this entire 18-year period was vital in preparing Jesus in his humanity for the mission that he would undertake. Okay, this wasn't time wasted, but it was a vital time of training and preparation. And this teaches us at least two things. The first is the importance of preparation. Okay, Jesus prepared for 30 years for three years of ministry. Okay, and this is a pattern that the Lord often follows. Okay, think of Moses. That was 80 years of preparation for 40 years of ministry. And the Lord still works in the same way. Often he spends much time preparing us for future things. And hence, there is no such thing as wasted time with the Lord. Okay, he's always molding. He's always shaping. He's always equipping us for what he would have us to do next. So don't despise preparation. Okay, for if you are not faithful in the small things, okay, what the Lord has given you now, how can he entrust you with bigger things in the future? Okay, and number two, be patient with the Lord. Okay, Jesus was there in the quiver, ready to go. And yet he waited patiently. Serve the Lord faithfully, okay, in obscurity, until the time come. Okay, he didn't rush ahead. He didn't force the issue, but he was joyous wherever the Father had him. He submitted to the divine timetable, even 18 years in obscurity. Okay, and the Lord is never in a rush, hence we need to be patient. Serve him faithfully where we are and be content in the quiver until he fires the arrow. Okay, this is what we learn from Jesus. These hidden years are all about patient preparation. Okay, and the father was well pleased with how Jesus navigated this time. Now the fifth text is Isaiah chapter 50. And, and it's in verse 4. And, and this is within the third servant song. And verse 4 says, The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. And it's this phrase, He wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. Can we learn here of another habit of Jesus' life? He awoke every Morning. Okay, in the Hebrew, the word's repeated twice, and the idea is day after day. Okay, this was his practice. Arise early, okay, before he went off to the carpentry shop, and spend time with his father. And perhaps he sat on the roof of the home, or he sat outside on a rock, and he was taught by the father. He learnt spiritual things he grew in his spiritual relationship with the father okay, in his humanity and the figure in mind here is that of a master who in the morning summons his pupils around him and imparts instruction to them and this is what jesus did morning after morning this is speaking of his daily deep fellowship with god the father and it's in these times that jesus heard from the father he could say that he awakens my ear to hear as the learned okay and this qualified him as a prophet to impart instructions to others but what this magnifies is that in these hidden years jesus prioritized what we would refer to today as devotions or quiet time time with the lord where he would read the bible he'd be taught okay pray 
and invest in his relationship with the Father. And my friend, this is something he invested in every single day. Okay, this was a key part of these hidden years. And again, if this was the practice of Jesus, and it was, ought this not to be our practice? Okay, should it not be a priority for you and I to spend time with God? Okay, ought that not to be something that we do every single day? Okay, this is what Jesus did. And if he did it, how much more do we need it? Okay, we need to be taught by the Lord. We need to have our ears open so we can learn. We need that quiet place alone with the Lord. Okay, and understand that you will never make progress in the Christian life if you aren't in the habit of doing this. Okay, you just won't. Okay, you'll be floundering and you'll end up going backwards. Okay, but even more than that, this should be something that we want to do. Okay, this should be something we delight in you know, sure there'll be times when it when it's really hard i understand that but it's a privilege okay it's an honor to spend time with the lord so this is not just to be something done out of drudgery but something that we should delight in as christians so although the bible doesn't say much it gives us enough to help us understand what Jesus was doing in these hidden years. And doesn't it magnify the glory of Jesus? We see his humanity so clearly. And how amazing that God would subject himself to physical, emotional, social and spiritual development. What humility... That he would work with his hands, by the sweat of his brow, hard labor for 18 years. That he would attend the synagogue and listen intently. That he would rise early every morning to, to be with his father. What humility, what condescension that he would go through such a preparation period. And this magnifies how great how wonderful, how spectacular Jesus is that, that he would do all of this and he did it perfectly, remembering that the father was well pleased. And my friend, Jesus did all of this. He humbled himself in such an astonishing way. Okay, why? Why did he do this? Well, it was because he loved his father and because he loved you. Isn't that amazing? From these hidden years, may we be struck by Jesus in new ways and may our love for him increase. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you uh, for Jesus and for how, how wonderful and amazing uh, he is. And, uh, Lord, I do pray that each and every one of us would be struck uh, afresh uh, by his beauty uh, this night. May our love uh, for him uh, increase and please you know grant to us uh, the grace to apply what, what, whatever lessons uh, we need uh, from your word this night. Uh, we ask this in Jesus name. Amen.